As I mentioned just a moment ago, when the children were up here on the steps, we are focusing on the word generosity. Last week, we began with a consideration of what does it mean to be a generous church. This week, we turn our attention to the Gospel of John and consider what it means to worship a generous God. So let us listen once more for a word from God, hearing these verses from the sixth chapter of John, beginning with the fifth verse. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to the disciple Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, saying, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, saying, Here, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they possibly go among so many? And then Jesus said to his disciples, Have the people sit down. Now, there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 people were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Now gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit once more that it would fill us this day. That it would fill the deepest yearnings of our souls that through its work, this ancient story that seems too good to be true would be true for us for the living of these days. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here today would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The man pictured here wearing the yarmulke is a guy named Isaac Thiel. This picture was taken back in 2013 on the Brooklyn-bound Q train in New York City. Thiel had just finished a day's work. He was on his way back home. He boarded the train, sat down, and not long after sitting, found the young man next to him slowly leaning over and falling asleep right there on his shoulder. A fellow passenger offered to rouse the man for Thiel, but Thiel responded by saying he must have had a long day. 
Let him sleep. We've all been there, right? For the better part of the next hour, this young man who's still anonymous, as far as I know, slept there on Theo's shoulder as he held stock still there on the train. When he finally reached his stop, he gently eased the man's head off of his shoulder and quietly exited the train. He was surprised the next morning when his sister in Montreal woke him with a phone call, a call to report that there was an image of Thiel going around the internet. It had gone viral overnight, something like 20,000 shares in 12 hours or something. We can understand, of course, the reason that this image likely resonated with people at first a Jewish man wearing a traditional yarmulke, a young black man in a hoodie, an image of peace, of unity, of togetherness. But when he was asked by a newspaper about the event, Thiel said, listen, there was really only one reason I let the man sleep on my shoulder and it had nothing to do with race. The reason, he said, was simply because here was another human being, another human being who was exhausted. And I knew it, he said, and I happened to be there, and I happened to have a big shoulder to offer. You know, I noticed something for the first time in this feeding of the 5,000 story from John's Gospel. It's such a traditional miracle story in so many ways across the Gospels where Jesus looks up and there's a crowd and they're hungry and the disciples immediately start to freak out and run around frantic what to do. Jesus calm, finds some food and he distributes it and there's enough. The detail though that I had never really noticed is that sentence near the middle. I looked and it's actually in most of the other feeding stories as well. It's where Jesus instructs his disciples saying, have the people sit down. You see, God is generous. That's ultimately what this story is about. God's abundance, God's generosity. But the thing that detail reminded me of is that God is not always generous in the ways that we expect. I think we tend to think about generosity as being mostly in big terms, right? What it looks like to be generous is to make some grand gesture, to give the most expensive gift there is to give, to write the biggest check that you possibly can. That's the mindset of the disciples in this story, right? They see these people and what do they do? They immediately pull out their calculators and begin tabulating just how generous their giving is going to have to be in order to feed all these mouths. Jesus, it's at least half a year's wages, that's how we tend to think about generosity as, as feeble humans, isn't it? But the power of this story, the power of this story is actually in its simplicity. Here is a story where God and Jesus Christ looks out and he sees a need. He sees people who need rest. 
He sees people who need food. And then God looks around and identifies what there is to give. Here's a patch of grass. Here's some bread. Here are a few fish. God identifies what there is to give, and then God gives it. And the miracle here is that it's enough. In fact, it's, it's more than enough. They tell us at the end of the story that, that there are 12 basketfuls that are left over from this, this seemingly meager offering. The power of this story is really in its simplicity, which makes me wonder if perhaps we miss God's generosity sometimes because we're only thinking in those big terms. We love to barter with God, don't we? We barter with sentences that begin with, God, listen, all of my problems would be fixed if you just let me win the lottery tomorrow. God, all of my problems would be fixed if you could just make the pain go away. God, all of my problems would be fixed if you could just help me get up out of this hole I've dug for myself just one last time. God, all of my problems would be fixed if you could just help make this person love or respect or forgive me. God, all of my problems would be fixed if you would finally just tell me what to do. We tend to think and expect God's generosity to only come in those big ways. And yet the reality that this story points to is that really it is precisely when none of those things happen. It is often when we do not win the lottery, when our pain is still there, when the hole only seems to get deeper, when the person doesn't love or respect or forgive us any more today than they did yesterday. It's often when things don't happen. And in fact, when the things that do cause us to throw our hands up and collapse in our seats. It's when we begin to feel our eyes grow heavy with the exhaustion of it all. It's often then that we most clearly experience God's generosity. We experience it in the gentle cry of a child. <laughs> that wasn't saying leave, Holly. Seriously, though, we experience it in those gentle reminders of life. We experience it in the encouraging word, in the listening ear, in the unexpected surplus. We experience it in the new friend, in the kind gesture. It's often when all seems lost that God's generosity is presented to us most clearly in a manger on a cross, on the shoulder of a friendly stranger. He's exhausted. Let him rest. It's often in the simplest of moments that God's abundance is made most clear. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to live a generous life. 
But I intentionally wanted us to visit first this story and to consider what it means to be children of a generous God. Because the framework for a generous life, it can really only be built when we first have a foundational understanding of God's generosity toward us. There's an article I came across about this subway ride where the author interviewed Isaac Thiel. And there's this one comment he made in there where he said to the author, he said, you know, I remember the times when my own head would bop on someone's shoulder because I was so tired at the end of a long day. Right? Someone had shown generosity to him first before he was empowered to show generosity to someone else. What are those verses from 1 John? We love because God first loved us. A generous life, it can only be constructed when we have a foundational understanding that the God we worship is a generous God. Because it is then that we will find a generous life naturally flowing from us. And it's then that we will find that even if all we have is five loaves and two fish, then if all we have is a patch of grass or an empty porch chair and a cup of tea and an invitation to a neighbor who's going through a hard time, it's then that we will realize that all we, if all we have is a shoulder and an hour to kill, because, because of God's generosity to us, our generosity to someone else in that moment, it'll be enough. It'll be enough for God to take it and to use it for something magnificent. Friends, the God we meet in Jesus Christ is a God who is overflowing in generosity. And so we, as God's people, can be thankful and can let our generosity flow to others as a sign of our gratitude. So thanks be to God this day, and thanks be to God always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.